0: morning, thank you guys. I really want to just add my thanks for being here today. And I have looked forward to this Sunday with you. I I pray all the time. Pray for you, pray for our church. Uh, Yesterday morning, because I had things going on yesterday afternoon with weddings and everything else, that I walked through this entire building and laid hands, on the chair you're sitting on right now, had my hand on it in prayer yesterday. And I do that because I want God to work in our hearts and to change us from the inside out. And we've been in this series called Extravagant Love for, uh, this is our 11th week and I know for some of you think, wow, when is he going to move on? In some ways, I don't ever want to move on from this because it always is about the extravagant love of God for us. We've been looking at this. Uh, today I'm calling it the grand finale. I hope it's grand. And, and I'm going to tell you what I, what, I've, what I believe with all my heart. We've been looking at this for 10 weeks. Uh, you know, I could look at it for a lot longer. But what I believe in, and still believe is that the love of God has the power to change everything about everything in our lives. The reason why it's such an important topic the reason why it means so much to me and why I've poured so much of myself and prayer and time in the word in this, and, and hopefully you've been able to listen and be here, and if not, go online and listen. Because when you see the love of God, when you truly see what it is, it will draw you like a moth to light. You will not be able to stay away from it when your eyes are open to see the love of God for you. When you understand it, when, and to the depth that we do, and we'll never fully be able to comprehend it, but as you understand the love of God for you, It will break your heart. It will will move you to a point where you'll say, oh God, I am so amazed at your love for me and so overwhelmed by your goodness to me. When you experience the love of God and all its strength and all its power, it will transform you. You will be different when you encounter the love of God. Last week, between the first and second service, a lady came up to me and she said, Kurt, I just want to tell you, this series has changed my life and it really has been impacting to me. And I spotted, you know, I, I love hearing that. But I I told her, I said, man, I I so relate because the love of God has changed me too. I said the very first week in the series that the love of God uh, is the most important thing we can take a look at because it does affect everything about everything. When we understand the love of God, it changes us. But God's love is beyond reason. It really is beyond our ability to comprehend. It's unstoppable. I said a few weeks ago that the love of God is there for us, always present and always ours, even in the shadow of our darkest failure, even when we have blown it, failed miserably, God's love is still there for us. And today, I want to wrap this series up with a very strong reminder and a clear challenge to all of us. And here it is in a nutshell. In fact, if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. Here's what I want you to understand. You choose the condition of your heart. You choose. You and only you decide what you will do in response to the love of God. I could preach on this topic for 10 more weeks, 10 more years. I really could. But only you can determine what you'll do With the love of God and how you respond to that, only you can choose. Now if I were God, I'm just gonna give you a little heads up. (laughs) I would not give you free will. If I were in charge and I was God, I would not have given humankind the ability to choose him or not or the ability to choose to love him passionately or not. Wouldn't have happened that way. I'd have made it automatic and you just wouldn't have had any choice in the matter. But thankfully, I'm not God. God is God and God and his wisdom because of who he is, because of his relational nature He doesn't want an automatic response from us. He doesn't want robotic affections from us. What he wants is a choice of our hearts to love him, to respond to his love for us, to be passionate by choice. Let me ask you a question that I don't answer out loud because you might embarrass somebody. But have you ever fallen madly in love with someone who did not love you back? Have you ever longed for this deep relationship, this intimate relationship with a person, only to have them snub you, or worse yet, to reject you. Doesn't feel good, does it? In fact, it really, really hurts. My wife and I have known each other since we were in high school, and um, I fell madly in love with her. The very first time I saw her, walked in the choir. She was uh, uh, playing the piano for the music teacher, and uh, from the moment I saw her, I thought, oh, my goodness. Maybe it was madly in lust at first, I don't know but it became madly in love with her and, and uh, I pursued her, I went after her. And I, and I would find myself in the hallways, just happened to be where she, she was, I got her schedule. I stalked her, it was great. <laughs> I would offer to take her home, my house was just past hers up the hill and I'd say, after choir, after school, can I take you home? And, and she let me a few times and, and I found, just fell madly in love with this woman. And one day, I was bold enough to tell her and I remember standing on the front porch of her house. Never forget this moment. Standing on the front porch of her house, and I looked at her, and I said, Laura, I just want you to know that I, I love you. And in that moment, my, my friend, my dear wife, the love of my life, in that moment she said, you don't even know what love is. <laughs> yeah, Ah! Oh! Oh, my goodness. Now, just to explain what was going on, the couple of guys before me had broken her heart and were real jerks. And so she'd been wounded. And so she was cautious and guarded about about my love and not ready for it. Obviously, uh, that frustrated me, and you can imagine how hurt I was by that. But you can also see um, I didn't give up. We celebrate 37 years of marriage this July. And, yeah, thank you. So I I eventually won her heart, and she eventually believed in my love. But I want you to imagine. You've been there. You've seen it. You know what it's like. Imagine now God the Father, Father of all the universe, the creator of everything, the one who loved you so much that he gave his very best for you, his one and only son. Imagine the love that he has for us, and yet so many for so long have spurned and rejected the love of God. And if they haven't done that, then maybe they've accepted or embraced it at some point, but for some reason, for maybe many reasons, now their response to that love is somewhat lukewarm and apathetic. And so the question today is simple. What will you do with the love God has for you? What will you do with that extravagant love that he has for you? Will you deny it, reject it? Will you uh, treat it with lukewarm apathy? Like, yeah, 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 blah, 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 love, 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 whatever. Or will you accept it, embrace it, and in fact, delight in the love that God has and and respond to that with a burning heart of passion for Him? We're going to be in the book of Revelation today, if you've got your Bible, in Revelation chapter 3. And I'm going to read a passage from there in just a moment. But this book, this last book in the Bible, one of the most unusual books in the book. Uh, this last couple of weeks, I actually read through it in my quiet times, and several times actually, and just like to bathe myself in the scriptures and read the, the book of Revelation again and again, and I tell you, it's really weird. There's some parts of it, and that's God's word, I don't mean to say weird in a bad way, just unusual. There's stuff in there, you go, what is that about? And man, that is freaky, and other things are just glorious and awesome, and you think, oh, I want to be there with the, you know, the, the, all the elders around the throne of God bowing down, it's a wow, cool, I want to see that. But in the second and third chapter of Revelation, there's, it's, it's an interesting couple of chapters because what is there is seven letters to seven different churches. And if you haven't read it, you can read it on your own sometime this week. It's seven letters and chapters two and three to seven different churches. What you need to know is that they're real churches, real people, and these letters were written to people at that time that read this and thought, wow, this is God speaking to us. Now, I believe that though we are not the primary audience. We are not one of the seven churches mentioned in the Revelation chapter 2 or chapter 3. Though we are not the primary audience, the original audience of these letters, just like all the letters in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, we can glean truths from them. We can learn from them. There are principles there that we need to apply to our lives. These letters, these seven letters to the churches, seven churches are powerful. They're challenging. And this last one is the letter to the church in Laodicea. And I want to read it in Revelation chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In other words, these are the very words of Jesus. Don't miss that as we read through this. The the word of Jesus is about to go to this church. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that's not a very pretty picture. And it might sound kind of harsh for Jesus to say that to the church. But we'll get to why. He says this in a moment. You say, verse 17, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus goes on and says, I counsel you. I admonish you to buy gold for me, gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and ointment to put on your eyes so that you can see. In verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Now, understand, he's speaking out of his love. He's not ticked off. He's not mean. He's not being harsh. Those whom I love, he says, I rebuke, I correct, I challenge, and I discipline And so he says, be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And this is the church's door that he's knocking at. We often use this verse in in the context of evangelism, and and the Lord is knocking on your heart if you'll just open your life to him. And it can be applied that way. But understand here, when Jesus is saying this, he's talking to the church. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Verse 22, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus finishes this with, if you really want to open your heart, if you have ears to hear, if you'll listen, then hopefully you'll hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Of all the seven letters written to the seven churches, I find this one the most challenging. It's, I think, the only one, I meant to go back and check, but I think it's the only one where they're not commended, not applauded for something. Most of the other letters say, you've done this well, you've done this okay, but there's no, yeah, attaboy here at all. It's just a challenge. And Jesus really speaks to these, in terms and in pictures, that are really quite severe. He speaks to them out of his love, verse 19, but he rebukes them and he calls them repentance. The end of verse 19 And he says, let me read it again, verse 15, I know your deeds. I've seen what you've done. I see the way you live. But here's the deal. You're neither hot nor cold. And I wish, I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Here's a little historical fact that might shed some light on this that I find quite fascinating. The church in Laodicea uh, was in the city that did not have its own source of water. In fact, the, the water that they, that they got was from about six miles away in a place called Hierapolis, and it, they built a pretty cool aqueduct system. It was stone, and they took water from the hot springs in this place called Hierapolis, and six miles, they let this water travel all the way to their city. Now, you think, well, so what? What's the big deal? Well, it, the water started hot in the hot springs of Hierapolis, and then on that six-mile track. It got lukewarm and filled with garbage and dust and dirt and bird stuff and whatever else. And by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, it was tepid. It was distasteful. It, it wasn't good at all. In fact, they, they knew their reputation for having really, really horrible water. They didn't draw it from a deep well. It wasn't fresh, cool water. Ever grab like a, a Coke out of the garage or something, and you're so dying, you don't even wait to get ice. You just drink it. It's lukewarm. It's disgusting. They knew that that was the reputation they had. And when Jesus uses the analogy of being le- lukewarm, oh my goodness, they, it, it, that, that must have bothered them a great deal that he uses that picture to describe their faith. That's got to sting. Jesus went on to say, you think you're so rich when in fact you're wretched, pitiful, bo- poor, blind, and naked. You think you've got so much. You think you've got it all. But the truth is, you're so lacking in so many ways. Again, here's what I want you to land on with me today. Whether we're hot, cold, or lukewarm is up to us. I'll make it personal. It's up to you. We choose. You choose the condition of your heart. And there are really three hearts referred to here that we can can choose from. And let me start with the first one, number one in your outline, the dead heart. The dead heart. This is the cold heart. This is the heart that has no godly passion, no love for God, and no eternal life. In fact, this heart denies or ignores the love of God and constantly tries to find life in other things, constantly trying to fill that emptiness, that void with things that are actually meaningless and empty or through self-centered relationships. They're always going after something, always looking for something, but what they're pursuing is empty and lifeless compared to the life that God offers they love and they serve idols. I'll put that in quote, but idols of their own making. Maybe not a carved Buddha or a golden image in the corner of their house somewhere or on a table in their, in their living room somewhere, but they serve idols of their own making nonetheless. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's a hobby or some empty thing, some empty dream. And that's what they're trying to fill their hearts with trying to fill that void with, and it's empty and lifeless. I had a friend, a neighbor in Ray in Portland, wasn't a Christ follower, um, had a beautiful home, very successful career, uh, very prosperous, and this guy had all the toys you can imagine. I mean, guys, think about the toy you want, he probably had it. Not just one bike, but multiple motorcycles, dirt bikes, street bikes, he had the boats, he had, uh, in fact, he had, a, he had a snowmobile. Why in Portland he had a snowmobile, I'm not sure. Probably to take it up to Mount Hood. But he had all the toys. In fact, this guy had a big screen TV before anybody really knew what big screen TVs were. There was one of the first, and I think it cost like four or five thousand dollars. He had all the stuff you would think would mark someone as successful and would fill their lives. But the truth is, and I and I speak to you honestly, Ray was one of the most empty, lifeless guys I'd ever known in my life. He didn't have any joy. i never, in fact, I've never known a guy more empty than Ray. Now he wasn't mean. He really wasn't an ugly guy. He was just dead, and there was no spark of the eternal life of God within him. In fact, the truth is, sometimes people with a cold heart, they might look okay on the outside. They they might be all right, might seem to have it all together, but if you hang around them long enough, you'll start to smell the stench of death. Not literally, but you'll start to smell that, boy, what is that? Why does that guy seem to have it all, and yet something's wrong, something's off here? Jesus described a group of people like this in his time, Matthew 23, 27. He said, How terrible it will be for you, legal experts and Pharisees. Hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but inside they are full of dead bones and all kinds of filth. Jesus says, You guys look pretty good. You look like you've got your act together all on the outside, but the truth is, on the inside, you're dead and you're stinky and you're full of, of death and all kinds of filth. To the casual observer, These people look pretty good. And by the way, they tried to fill their lives with religious things apart from relationship with God. The Pharisees were very religious. So sometimes we fill our lives with even things that might seem good. But apart from relationship, apart from fire in our belly because of our relationship with God, something's missing. And in a futile attempt, the Pharisees tried to find life outside of relationship, and all too often we do the same. We try to find life where there is no life. Jesus spoke of this futility in Matthew 16, 26. He said, what good is it if someone gains the whole world, but they lose or forfeit their soul? And I'm sure it was a piercing question, and one that Jesus said with tears in his eyes, what good, what good is it if you gain everything this world has to offer? You go after all that you think you need and want, but in the end you lose or forfeit your own soul. The dead heart is the cold heart that has never been made alive in Christ, never been made alive in relationship with God and there's no eternal spark within them at all. Here's the second kind of heart, number two, the dull heart, the dull heart. This dull or dim heart is the lukewarm heart that Jesus identifies in this church in Laodicea. And they didn't hate God. Lukewarm people don't necessarily hate God. They're probably pretty decent people all in all. But again, there's no fire in their belly, there's little that inspires or motivates them to serve God or to serve others. In fact, they would use words like this to describe their faith, and, and you've heard it. I know you have. They would say, Well, my, uh, my, my relationship with God is good enough. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, you can't get too crazy. It's, it, that's how they would describe their faith in God. Typically, you hear from them, You know, don't rock the boat. You know, just, you've got to keep everything in balance in your life. Balance would be one of their favorite words. The lukewarm people are always worried about stay in the middle. Walk in that balance, stay in balance, stay in balance, stay in balance. There are the disciples thinking or saying perhaps to Peter, as Peter gets out of the boat, another great story. Jesus has come. Peter's stepping out of the boat to walk with Jesus on water. The other guy's going, Peter, get back in the boat. What are you thinking? You can't walk on water. Peter was not a guy with a lukewarm heart. He was an idiot, but he was not a guy with a lukewarm heart. You see, the lukewarm heart, they don't like. In fact, they rarely take any risk in their walk with God. Their faith is very safe, very comfortable, very defined, and they would never take great risk in their pursuit of him. They do want God, and this is what's frustrating, I think, for Jesus, and I can speak to you honestly as a pastor. They want God. There's a measure of them that they really do want him. But the problem is they're seeking God on their terms. Without any, you know, willingness to embrace what might be hard or scary or difficult difficult or sacrificial. They're looking for God, but they want a vanilla Jesus. They want him on their, in their terms. In fact, they're the ones that will hang the pictures of the gentle picture of Jesus as a lion on their wall. And they will, you'll never find in their house a picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, just not too far after this passage in Revelation 3, Revelation 5, 5. Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. It says, Revelation 5, five, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Meaning, if I could paraphrase it, the lion of the tribe of Judah has kicked butt. That's what the Revelation says. And it paints this picture of not this, just this gentle lion, but he's also this, I mean, a lamb, but this, this passionate, bold lion. The uncom- the, the, those those that, are, that are lukewarm, they're uncomfortable with this phrase from Solomon found in Proverbs 28.1 that says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. I mean, uh, bold is not a word you would use to describe them. Years ago, a long time ago, I worked for Great Western Bank in South Florida, and I uh, oversaw a department. I had processing and had about 15 employees. And uh, I had been there a couple months or so, and I was a Christ follower, loved Jesus, and pretty open about that. But I had an employee come to me, and she said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. She said, well, can I we go to your office? Sure. In my office, she sat down, closed the door, and she kind of, you know, was... Frustrated, and I could tell she was not sure how to start. She said, Well, I'm just going to say this. She says, You got to stop whistling all those Christian songs. And if you know me, you know I whistle all the time. I, I am a chronic whistler. I love whistling. Thank God my wife likes it. Uh, my youngest son, Isaac, not so much. He said, Dad, we can stop whistling. But I whistle all the time. He asked the staff, I whistle around here all the time. And I whistle just because I don't even think about it, I just do. And said, "Yes, stop whistling those Christian songs." And then she pointed at the Bible in the corner of my desk, and she said, "And you better put that away too, because there's some people in this office that really hate Christians." Well, I wasn't sure if I had personally offended her. I wasn't sure where she was at. So I said, "Well, I'm really sorry if this has offended you." And and she interrupted me. She says, "I'm not offended. I'm worried." She said, "I'm a Christian." I thought, "Wow, I did not know that. I'm a Christian." She said, I just, I just, there are people in this office that are gonna make our lives really, really tough and rough if you keep going where you're going. So you gotta stop, you gotta cut it out. Well, I didn't really know what to say. I said, well, it is what it is, and I'll do the best I can not to get you in trouble. But... And then she left, walked out of my office, frustrated that I didn't you know, agree to her terms. And uh, not, uh, maybe a couple weeks later, I asked my boss, and I didn't see him a lot, but my boss, who was a Christian, I said, did you know, now this woman happened to be a Jamaican woman. Now, if you know... If you've ever known a Jamaican woman, they are, they can be pretty passionate. And, and, and uh, I said, did you know, and we'll just call her Angie. I said, did you know that Angie's a Christian? He goes, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, I had no idea. She was like a closet Christian. I had no idea. He said, oh, yeah, you should have seen her when she first got saved. She was passionate for God. She was bold. She was telling everybody about the love of Jesus. She was always talking about him. I said, wow, she's come quite a distance from there. She wanted God but wanted him on her terms. And she'd lost any boldness, any willingness to take risk at all. Once upon a time, her heart burned bright, but not anymore. And honestly, and I'm going to be honest with you, there are lots of things that can quench the the passion, the the flames of passion in our heart for Jesus. Lots of things. I'll just give you a few. One of them is fear. What Angie dealt with, she was afraid. What if? What if people treat me badly? What if they don't like me? What if I'm rejected? What if they, you know, key my car? What if? And, And South Florida, you know, I can understand. It's a pretty... Hedonistic society and people pretty anti-God, and boy, but there was fear. Another thing that quenches the, the flame of passion in our hearts is failure. We feel like either we are a failure and we're just a, you know, a pile of dirt, not worth anything to God, and so we beat ourselves up and it quenches that flame of passion for, for him. Or maybe we're dealing with some impurity in our lives, some things that, are, that are, aren't holy and healthy and that will quench that fire. And I'll talk about the answer to that in a moment. Here's another thing that can quench the passion for God, frustration. Man, I see this all the time. People get frustrated with God. You know, one of the things that I've said before about conflict, almost always you can find unmet expectation at the heart of it. And if you're having conflict with God, it's probably because you had an expectation from Him that you felt like He let you down. God, I expected you. And you may not say it, but you know, I wanted to be fat, happy, rich. I wanted to have a good, easy life. I gave my life to you so you would clean and fix everything and make it all nice and pretty for me. And you realize, wow, that's not quite the life I have. And things are tough sometimes. And it's hard. It's difficult. And you had expectations, unmet and unrealistic expectations of God that suddenly you're frustrated with him. And so you draw away from him. You don't draw near. Maybe you're frustrated with the church. I got an email a couple weeks ago from a a, a woman who used to go to our church for a while, hasn't been here for quite a while, and and, uh, boy, she wrote me a new one in this email. She just, you know, you you let me down, the church let me down, and I responded as kindly as I could and asked her to forgive us. But the truth is, when people have expectations and they get frustrated, that's often what happens is they withdraw and their hearts become cold or lukewarm. Distress, discontent, these are things that can cause us to quench that flame of passion. And there's one more I want to mention that might surprise you. But here's another thing that can quench the flame of passion in our hearts for God. And it's this word. Ready? Success. That's what happened, in fact, to the church in Laodicea. I'm convinced of it. Jesus said, you think you're rich. You think you've got it all. You think you've got it all figured out and all that you need. But the truth is, you're poor, you're wretched, pitiful, you're naked. You've got nothing. But success the, the worries and cares of this life often come um, and, and rob us of that passion. Those, that's, the, the, the burdens of achievement can actually steal from us the passion and fire for God. Jesus dealt with this in Matthew 13, 22. He explains how some start well and finish poorly. He said the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, the word of God. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. Jesus said, they started well. The word of God became their experience, their life. And they started in their relationship with me. And yet what happened is these thorns grew up, the weeds of life, the, the worries of this world, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choked out the life, or to put it another way, quenched the passion and the fire of God. It's so easy for us to become dull and dim of heart. I know, I've been there. It's so easy for us to just turn the the flame down and to just put it on cruise control and go through the motions. And to be very honest with you, tragically, I think this describes way too much of the church today, especially the church in America, the Western church. We have so many resources, so much available to us. I mean, we got like four, five Christian radio stations in this town. We got all sorts of information you can get and access to Bible studies and material and great speakers and all this stuff. We have so much. We think we are so rich. But in truth, there's no burning passion in our hearts. We think we're good. We think we're fine. And yet we're much like the church in Laodicea. We're lukewarm. And Jesus says with a broken heart, that, 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 is, that disgusts me. I want to spit you out of my mouth. And he's not rejecting us. He's rejecting the choices, the life that we've chosen. And he calls us to change. What does he do here? He doesn't just say, You disgust me. I want to puke you out of my mouth. I'm just bad. He doesn't leave it there at all. Verse 19, what does he do? He calls them to earnest repentance. So repent, earnestly repent. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, the very first letter of the seven letters, that are written to the church is our letter written to the church in Ephesus. And in that letter, Jesus said to them, Return to your first love. I see this here in this letter to Laodicea as well. Return, repent, let the fire burn again bright in your heart. This first love describes the third and final heart we can choose, and it's number three in your outline the de- delighted heart. This is the heart God wants for us. The delighted heart is that burning heart of passion for God. It's that set-apart heart, that sold-out heart, that heart consumed by passion for him, consumed in a good way, overwhelmed by passion for him. The delighted heart is the determined heart. It's the heart that says, I will follow him. Nothing and no one is going to distract my heart from the pursuit of the king and his kingdom. The delighted heart will seek and discover God's purpose for them. The, the delighted heart, that burning heart, will not be satisfied, ever be satisfied with the status quo. You'll be longing and hungry. God, show me the next thing. Show me what you want for me to do. Show me your, my God-given destiny and purpose in you. That's the burning heart. A.W. Tozer, who was a great theologian, pastor, and author, wrote some amazing books, once put it this way, and I quote. He said, complacency, lukewarmness. Complacency is that deadly foe of all spiritual growth, but acute desire, a burning passion for him. Acute desire must be present in the heart of a believer. Now listen to this. For God wants to be wanted. God wants to be wanted. And see, the delighted heart pursues him. It goes after him. And it finds joy, and it chooses hope and faith even in the midst of struggle and hardship and trials and pain, the delighted heart does so because it focuses just not on the temporary, but on the eternal. The Apostle Paul was famous for his burning heart, and he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18, the last passage I want to read to you this morning. But Paul said, therefore, we do not lose heart. There it is. The heart's referred to so often in the Scriptures. He says, we do not lose heart. I will not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, and boy, can I relate to that more and more. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. And I read that and I almost have to laugh. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 on your own this week. And Paul describes his troubles. Things like being shipwrecked, flogged, stoned, beaten, thrown in prison, going naked, going hungry. (laughs) And here's what he calls light and momentary troubles. He says they're achieving for us An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And here it is, guys, listen. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on the unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus. He says, I will not lose heart. I will not back off. Bring it on! Whatever hard things are happening, whatever struggle or trial this life may may bring my way, I will pursue him because I will fix my eyes on the one who gave his all for me. I will fix my eyes on him, on Jesus in the eternal. That's the heart that God wants you to have. That's the burning desire that he wants you to have for them. But the truth is, again, only you can choose. You choose the heart you'll have. We are bowing our heads. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit you would reach into our hearts. And where perhaps we have a dead heart that's not yet surrendered to you, not yet yielded to you, not yet embraced you as there's. as as our Savior has not yet experienced the eternal touch of God, I pray, Lord, today that those dead hearts would be made alive in you, that they would choose life, that they would choose you. And Jesus, where some of us, perhaps too many of us, are lukewarm, and where we're comfortable in our faith, we haven't taken any risk for you in a long time, We're just in cruise control, just kind of going through the motions. And we think we've got so much, Lord, but I pray with all of my heart, Jesus, would you show us right now that that condition, that lukewarmness is not what you desire, it's not what you want, and that we would repent of that today, that we would turn from that, that we would return to our first love for you, and that you would reach by your Holy Spirit into us again, into the very depths of our souls, And show us again the the fire that you want in us. The passion that we need to have for you. That we would risk it all again, Lord, for the one who gave us all for us. And then, Lord, for those that are here today and and their hearts are passionate and on fire already, God, I pray that that messages like this, that this passage from Revelation would encourage them to take, like, like Matt even prayed earlier, the next step. That they would go even further and their love and their pursuit of you, and that they would feel affirmed today in their passionate love for Jesus. My God, my prayer has been all week and is right now. Help us to choose you, to you a passionate, burning heart for you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna to finish today with something a little different. Allegories, stories have been used for thousands of years to communicate truth. Verbal stories often handed down from generation to generation to make a point, to bring something home, to paint a picture for us. I want you to open your heart. I pray that right now you'll open your heart, that you'll open your ears, and that you'll hear this story of three brothers and three hearts. Listen.
1: Once upon a time, long ago and in a faraway place, there lived three brothers in a small village by the sea. The name of the village was Despair, and the sea it bordered was called the Sea of Anguish. The brothers lived in the same house, worked in the same shop, and having lost their parents many years ago, they shared the same history of tragic misery. But these three men had three very different lives. The oldest brother was named Ice. As far back as anyone could remember, Ice was distant, cold, and aloof. His entire life was spent surrounded by people who lived with dreadful hardships. But Ice lived emotionally isolated and secluded even from his brothers. Ice was unyielding and hard. The middle brother lived without the harshness of his older brother. But apathy and indifference marked his entire existence in the village of despair. Fittingly, his parents called him Sand. Like the small grains of rock he was named after, Sand blew emotionally wherever the winds took him or didn't take him. He wasn't lazy, just emotionally empty. His days were filled with nothingness, no dreams, no passions. No desires of any great value. Bland sand lacked enthusiasm and energy for anything. Just getting by was enough for him. Boredom was his middle name. Sand was numb and dull.
2: The youngest brother, however, lived a far different life. His name was Fire, and every aspect of his existence was influenced by passion and an eagerness for fullness and adventure. Often ridiculed by his older brothers, Fire believed that things could change. With all his heart, he held on to the belief that someday the Great One of Longing would cross the sea of anguish and visit his sad village of desperate despair. Somehow, Fire saw beyond the darkness of his past and the dreariness of his present to horizon of hope. In fact, fire was full of hopeful anticipation. The people of the village were men and women much more like ice and sand than fire. They were men and women who had lived so long in shadows, they no longer even thought of the light. Some lived their lives in quiet desperation, others in angry coldness of their dark souls. There were rumors of a far better time in the village before the fog of despair descended. Some elders spoke in moments of drunken transparency of days long gone when the laughter of children filled the village square. They described a place of compassion and care and beauty and they whispered through tears the name of the great one of longing who once lived among them in all his splendor. A far better time, they said, a far better time before the dragon of destruction came and brought with him this dreadful cloak of shame and darkness.
1: The three brothers had often heard these legends of a benevolent ancient one who had once sent his son, the Great One a longing, and of their battle with an evil dragon ice dismissed them as foolish tales of dreamers sand paid no attention and saw no value in these boring stories of days gone by not fire, he believed he held dearly to the conviction that someday and somehow the great one of longing would return to set them free of the depraved works of darkness in their village of despair days turned into weeks weeks into years and years into decades but fire stayed faithful and true he knew in his soul that life was not meant to be lived in the shadows every morning for as long as he could remember fire would walk to the sea cliffs just outside his village he would sit there sometimes for only minutes other times for hours looking east across the sea of anguish. Every day, the picture before him was the same. Dark clouds, wicked winds, and storms of such horrific violence that not even the seasoned fishermen would venture far from shore. The sea of anguish was aptly named, for many lives
2: had been lost in her cruel waters. One day, however, far to the east, fire saw a sight that caused him to leap to his feet. For the first time in his life, he saw a light of indescribable beauty piercing through the darkness. Small at first, it grew and grew as it moved like a ship through the raging tempest. Then in his heart, he heard the voice of the great one of longing say, Child, Prepare for my arrival. I am coming soon to take you and all who will come to a place of majesty I have prepared for those whose hearts are true. With a burst of unquenchable love and indescribable joy, fire gathered his things and ran like the wind to the village square. In compassionate and uncharacteristic boldness, he stood in the center of the market and shouted, The great one of longing is coming! He will soon be here. Even now he is crossing the sea of anguish to come to our rescue. Prepare yourselves, humble your hearts. The ancient one has sent his son again to restore our lost hope and heal our broken lives. Upon
1: hearing the commotion in the square and recognizing the voice of his brother, Ice left his shop to stop whatever madness his brother was up to now. "'Brother, in this foolishness!' I screamed. "'Accept the reality of our lot, curse the Ancient One, "'and die in despair with the rest of us.' "'Ice despised his brother Fire more than ever before. "'His cold heart cracked with angry contempt "'at even the mention of the Great One. "'Sand, now present and slightly embarrassed "'by this public display of emotion, "'simply shrugged his shoulders,' and walked away. He would not listen any longer to his younger brother's foolishness or to his extremist dreams of hope for a better life. Fire earnestly pleaded with his brothers and the crowd that had gathered. We don't have to live here anymore. We don't have to suffer under the clouds of guilt and shame. We can live free from our broken past. The Great One of Longing is coming to rescue us and to give us hope. Sadly, only a few had eyes to see and hear these strange words of hope and faith. Only a few heeded his call to come. Only a few
2: believed. Fire, distraught but undeterred, Remembered at that moment, words recorded in the scroll of wisdom long forsaken by his people. The very words of the Great One of Longing. Behold, I stand at the door of your hearts. I knock. If you hear me call and invite me in, you will know a life beyond your wildest imaginations. Are your hearts open to me? Are your ears awake? Will you listen to the wind's words, to the spirit blowing through your souls? You see, the tale of three brothers is actually a tale of three hearts. And we choose the hearts that we will live with. Hearts of ice, sand, or fire, the choice is ours. And the great one of longing still calls all who are willing to come to him. So what type of heart do you
1: have? A heart like ice cold and unyielding? A numb and apathetic heart like sand? Or is your heart full of hope, trust, and love like fire? He believed even in the midst of despair and darkness, and he was rewarded in the end when the great one of his longing to take him home you see fire always wins fire melts ice fire turns sand into glass and fire in our hearts is always what pleases the one who was and is and is to come
0: would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment I want to give you a moment of reflection right now We'll give you an opportunity, just you and Jesus, to reflect on the condition of your heart. Are you cold and lifeless? Do you need Jesus? Are you lukewarm and you've just been kind of going through the motions? Or are you passionate? Does your heart burn with fire for him? And listen one more time. You choose. You choose the condition of your heart. Father, for those that are here right now, I pray, God, that if they don't know you yet, if they've not begun their journey as, as a Christ follower, if they've not embraced the eternal and, beg- and, and, and accepted the gift of grace that comes from you and the eternal life that is a gift from you, I pray that right now, Lord, that they would say yes to you, that they would yield to you, that they would surrender to you. In fact, if you're here right now and that's you, would you just make this prayer, these words yours in your own way to say, God, forgive me. God, I need you. God, I surrender my life. God, I have sought life and so many other things that are empty and meaningless. And I see now that you're the source of all life. You're the one. and So I give my life to you because you gave your life for me. If that's you, if that's what you want, just in your own heart say, yes, Jesus. Today I, I give you my cold heart and I exchange it for a heart of fire that loves you. That is loved by you. If your heart is lukewarm, repent. Jesus called the church to earnest repentance. Just say, God, today I'm, I, I see what I've done. I, I, th- I thought I had so much. I thought I was so rich. And yet I realize how far I've fallen from my first love. And return to that first love. Lord, help us to return to that passionate first love for you. And if you're here today and your heart's burning bright for Him, then I pray that this message today, this word, This story, would it be an affirmation to you that you are on that path that God has chosen, that you're following him and that he's pleased with your heart of fire? We choose. Help us now, Lord. Help us to choose you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. Pressure's going to come. We're going to give as part of our worship to the Lord. Uh, if you're a visiting guest, then please drop that communication card in right now. But let's sing the song. and I would encourage you to sing this as a declaration of your heart's desire for him. Let's worship I'll come back. I want you to imagine with me what it would be like if there were a thousand people, a thousand people in this city who passionately love God with all their heart. If there was a fire that burned in their soul for him. We easily have a thousand adults to call East Point home. And I dream of a day when we rock this city and rock this county. And rock our world because of the passionate love that we have for him. God's used us. He's done some great things. But I think we've only experienced so much, and there's so much more that he has for us. And I can't make that happen, but what I can do is challenge you, encourage you, challenge you to have a heart that loves him. If you need prayer today, there'll be a prayer team down front. If you like communion from both sides of the room. If you began your life today as a Christ follower, I encourage you to let somebody know. Tell them. And then in the back on the tables by the doors if you walk out. It says for new Christians on it. It's got a Bible, some material, get you started to walk with Jesus. And we want to walk with you in this journey. But here's my final admonition to you guys today. Go. Go with a heart that chooses wisely, chooses to be passionate in love with Jesus. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.